Oh. All right, I right, don't count like that. Oh, Sonny said he'll be here soon, so I guess we have to wait until he gets here. <laughs> oh, good to see everybody tonight. Tacos were good, right? Yeah. Hard shell or soft? Choice was yours. Both. <laughs> there you go. All right. Good. We're we're good. Brother Mark says we're good. Hey, a lot of a lot of tough things going on with our folks today. I mean, a lot of tough things. And so, if, if you would be mindful of our folks that are going through these things. Uh, Don Daniels lost his dad today. Um, Melinda Thrasher just got home from the hospital and was recovering. She texted me and Peg today and said she wouldn't be here tonight, and we can understand why. Uh, John Rohair is still battling hospice. Uh, Vicki Reed, brother Todd's sister, uh, is have, having a reoccurring battle with cancer again. So uh, definitely be in prayer for Vicki. Uh, LT Lloyd <laughs> texted me and you, Jennifer, right before we got here and let us know that he got up just absolutely exhausted. And uh, he's, been, he's been battling that for a few weeks, plus numerous others that have unspoken requests. So it, it's, it's been a tough day, and, and Brother Todd would be able to fill you in on even more than, than I just gave you. Uh, but it's been a tough day for the folks here at Covenant. Question is, is God still on the throne? <laughs> Which means no matter what the bad news is, God's not a part of that bad news. This is, this is what we, we have to take in concerning God. No matter how bad the news is, God's not a part of the bad news. He may allow the bad news, but he's not a part of it. We need to know that. God is good always, even when we can't comprehend it. Now, that's easy for us to say when everything's going okay for us. But when something really difficult takes place and we, we begin to question things and all the rest of it, uh, you know, sometimes we lose sight of that. The fact that God has everything in control. And so why don't we just let him have that control? Instead of complaining about our circumstances, which we're good at. I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm not feeling well, I complain. Anybody else like that? Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it's a, it, it's a human thing. But instead of complaining about our circumstances, let's follow the example of Job. And do what he did after he lost everything that was near and dear to him. You say, wait a minute. I've read the book of Job. Job complains from chapter 2 all the way to chapter 38 until God reams him out and changes his mind about things and tells him, listen, I'm in control of everything. Quit complaining. You say, why should we take his example? Because of chapter 1 of Job. See, we forget chapter 1 comes before all those other chapters where he complains so much. 
In Job 1 and verse 21, I'm sure Mark will put it up on the screen for you. It says this, And Job, after he lost everything, remember he lost his, his uh, family, his servants, his wealth. I mean, he lost it. Everything that was near and dear to him, he lost it all. In, in, in like a day. It says, in, after Job lost everything, he said to God, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Now notice this next word. And I shared this with the Sunday school class a couple months ago, but it needs to be said again. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I want you to notice that word, blessed. Okay? By the way, it's not the same Hebrew word that's used in Psalm 1.1. In Psalm 1.1, it says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, etc., etc. That word, blessed, is a completely different Hebrew word than the word Job uses in Job chapter 1 and verse 21. The word blessed in Psalm 1-1 is the word esher and means happiness, kindness, and speaks to the grace of God. Blessed is the man that walketh not. You know, happy is the man. Kindness by God going to the man that does these things for the Lord. In Job 1-21, however, the word for blessed that Job used is the Hebrew word barak. Completely different. And means to kneel. So, now watch. Before Job ever got to complaining in chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through chapter 38, he was kneeling. He was kneeling to the sovereignty of God. So, so, so the difference between Psalm 1, 1, and Job 1 and verse 21 is one speaks of the grace of God, the other speaks of the sovereignty of God. And before you and I complain, are we kneeling? This is something that you have to remind yourself. Job did it. Before Job got to complaining, he first kneeled to the sovereignty of God. Meaning when Job said, blessed be the name of the Lord, what he was saying was, I kneel to the Lord's sovereignty over my life. No matter what comes my way, God gets a knee from me first. Ooh. Talk about a good habit to be in. He understands our complaints. We're human. He understands them. But before we complain, did we kneel? You say, oh, no wonder Job got in the Bible, and we didn't. Question, does God always get a knee from you before he gets an earful from you? This is something, if I stopped right here with the lesson tonight, and we took this truth away with us, it would change your life as a Christian, because it would change your view of who God is. God is first to be kneeled to. Recognizing His sovereignty, recognizing His omnipotence, His omniscience, recognizing all His attributes. Then and after you get done. Why, why do you think in the Lord's Prayer in Luke chapter 11, Jesus starts out with, when you pray, say, 
Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed, praise. Recognizing all the attributes of God. That comes first before you start complaining about give me this day my, my daily bread. <laughs> I want to take a moment tonight to speak to you about why God's still good even when the going gets tough. And he is. And you and I better kneel to that. Okay, okay. So you want to complain a little bit. You've heard your spouse complain. They've heard you complain. I understand. But before any of that complaining takes place, did you take a knee and recognize that, hey, I'm going through this. God knows I'm going through this. He's sovereign in all of this. He's, he's seen the whole thing before it's ever happened. I shouldn't be surprised because he's not surprised. But I'm still human enough to complain. Yeah, but, but do you recognize and kneel to his sovereignty first? That's something, if, if all we did was walk away with that truth tonight, you'd be a better Christian than you were this morning. Romans 8.28 says this, and you know the verse, And we know, Paul says, do we? <laughs> that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those that are called according to His purpose. Now, more than ever, Christians who are being fed to the lions metaphorically speaking, need to remember who God actually is. Now, I'm speaking of his character. I'm speaking of his person. I'm speaking of who he is. And, and, and I, I, I shed some of that light on who he is last Wednesday. But we really need to get even a better grasp of who he is. And one good way to get a great grasp of who he is is every time something goes wrong, the first thing you and I ought to do is kneel. Even if we're driving, kneel in our hearts and say, okay, God, you're in control of all this. I'm going to be complaining here in a minute. But I first want you to know I accept the fact that you're sovereign over all of this. Boy, if we did that, we'd be just like Job. You see, God's not only sovereign in that he ultimately controls all things. He's not only omniscient in that he knows all things and has viewed every possible scenario imaginable when it comes to a person's life. He's also, now catch this, eternally good. And here's how you know he's eternally good. When bad things happen, you immediately kneel to him. Oh, you complain later but you immediately kneel to him and recognize his attribute of his goodness. Romans 2.4 says this, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, his faithfulness to keep his word to us, and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness or the faithfulness of God is what leads us to repentance? Last uh, Wednesday after the service, Vicki, your, your sister, sent me a question concerning what I had spoken on last week. And if you remember what I spoke on, I said, you know, God already knows every scenario, every baby that's ever born, God's already seen its life uh, completely played out as if the baby lived till it was 80 years old, even though he took it, because he sees every scenario. And every baby that dies, or every child that dies before the age of accountability is guaranteed heaven. So here, here's what her question was. She says, what if a baby or child dies early in life 
but God knows they'll never get saved, would he still take them? Well, now, you, now you're talking about the character of God here. Now, this is a question, if you really understand the character of God, you can answer that question yourself. You don't need me to answer it. By the way, it's a great question. And it deserves a biblical answer, I told her. So here's what I told her. Every baby that's ever been born has had his or her name written in the book of life upon conception. Did, did you catch what I just said? When you were conceived, still in the womb, the moment you were conceived, your name was written in the book of life. Else how could it be blotted out if it wasn't written in there to begin with? When the Bible talks about our name being blotted out of the book of life, it means it was in there at some point. And we know when it was in there. It was in there upon conception. Knowing this to be true, we can boldly conclude that if God takes a baby or a child before the age of accountability, that child will always be saved. There's no such thing as God taking a child knowing that child would reject him. No such thing. Say, why? Because God always gives a person a chance, yes or no? I mean, this is the character of God. There's no way he's going to take a baby, knowing that baby would have never accepted him, said, well, it doesn't matter if he lives a few days or he lives 80 years, he's never going to accept me, so I'll just take him at, you know, at, at three days old or, or, you know, right out of the womb, and uh, we'll just send him to hell. That's not the character of God, folks. Thus, every baby that dies before the age of accountability is guaranteed eternal life. Why? Because God is eternally good. Is God not just? Yes or no? Is he not willing that any should perish? Thus, it's not in God's character to do that. It's not in his DNA to be that way. Now, Vicki was grateful for the answer. But do you know how many people actually thought about that? If she thought about it, somebody else had to think about it. But you can answer your own question just by understanding the character and the person of God. Is he not willing that any should perish? He didn't want anybody to perish. Certainly not little babies. And, and so if this baby he knows will never get saved and so it sends it to hell as a baby, that would be unfair to that baby. That means God's not good. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Watch carefully. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the, what's the next word? Truth in unrighteousness. Meaning they know the truth, they just don't obey the truth. Yes or no? Verse 19. Because that which may be known of God is made known in them. For God hath showed it unto them. By the way, how does God show himself onto the human race? There's four ways God does it. Only four. Do you know those four? Well, let me give them to you in chronological order. <laughs> okay? His word. Whether it's spoken, whether it's written, his word. So how do you know? 
No, creation came first. No, his word came first. So, no, 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 creation came first. It says in Genesis 1, 3, and God said his word, let there be light, creation. So right here before us, and before Abraham, which there wasn't any of this, there was just the spoken word, but it's still the word of God, yes or no. God says how you react to that light that I give you will determine whether I give you some more light. And then he gives us creation. And says, now how do we view creation? God says, every bit of his light. You read Psalm 19, it's all a light. The sun is up there showing us that, that God is a creator and, and the moon and, and all those stars. And he, he, he says, creation is a testimony to me. So how you react to creation will determine whether he gives you some more light. And then there's a third light that he gives us, history. Say, what do you mean history? How many here know when atheism started? Oh, you don't know history then. So that means history has no light on your life. History is a light. God uses history. Psalm 19 tells us he uses history as a light. And how we react to that light, you notice how America now is changing all its history? Are you aware of how much America is changing its just initial history from 200 and some years ago? Because when you change history, you dim the light. But God says, no matter how much America wants to dim their history, I've got all history. He says, and God says to the human race, when did atheism, evolution, and these things first begin? Does anybody here know your history? When? 600 B.C. The Greeks. There was no such thing. You remember the commandments when Moses, in the Ten Commandments, the first one, thou shalt not have any other gods other than... There was no commandments saying you shouldn't be an atheist because there were no atheists then. None. Don't you know your history? I'm not picking anybody here. I'm just saying, this is... God gives us history for light. No such thing as an atheist until 600 B.C., which is just 2,600 years ago, which means for the first... 2,400 years of creation from Adam and Eve all the way to 600 B.C., 3,400 years. Take that back. There was no commandment against atheism because there was no atheism. Just think if these college students actually knew their history. They're being sucked into this because nobody's teaching the history. History is a light that shows you that God has controlled everything. Remember the verse I gave you last week with Isaiah chapter 45 where God said in 700 B.C. that Cyrus would be the ruler of the Medo-Persian Empire and take over the Babylonian Empire? And he said this 113 years before he was ever born. History. So, you got God's word is light. How do you react to it? You, you've got creation. God's creation is light. How do you react to it? You've got history is light. How do you react to it? You said, well, Brother Brad, you said there were four lights. Well, the greatest light was saved. The best light for last. Jesus said, I am the what? Light of the world. Jesus came 2,000 years ago. That was God's best light. <laughs> 
And so how we react to Jesus. Well, he's just a prophet. You're not reacting very good in light. He's not just a prophet. He's God in flesh. Oh, no, no. Okay, he's a created God. Whoa, whoa. You're not reacting properly to the light. So again, how we react to the light God gives us determines whether he gives us some more, which obviously would lead us to salvation. Verse 19 again, because that which may be known of God is made known in them. Does God show the entire world his creation, yes or no? There isn't a human being that can't look up and say, whoa. There isn't a human being that can't look around and say, whoa. Now, you want to deny the word, the light of the word? You want to deny the light of Jesus? You want to deny the light of history? There's one thing you cannot deny. <laughs> That's the fact that we just talked about. Verse 20, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without, what's the next word? Excuse. God gives us these lights, and how we react to them will determine how much more light he gives us. But there's not, once, once it all ends up and it finishes, every one of us will bend our knee to Christ. We'll bow to him, the Bible says in the book of Romans. The Bible says there'll be no excuse once you get there. You know why? Because God will just open up a book and say, okay, here's your, inter- your entire life. Well, how long is this going to take? Well, you're in eternity now. There's no time here. Let me read it all. And God will show that person every light he gave them and how they reacted to it. Verse 21. Because that when they, what's the next word? knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. According to Romans 1, 18 through 21, God only holds those accountable who know the truth, but choose not to follow it. You're not in trouble. You know the truth and you follow it, you're not in trouble. You know the truth and you don't follow it, you're in trouble. According to these four verses, God is knowable. It says, when they knew God. This portion of Scripture deals with those who know God, not with those who don't know God, like babies or children before the age of accountability. Fact. We are not held to account if we are not accountable. You understand that statement. Oh, he's got it up there. Okay. We are not held to account if we are not accountable. God doesn't hold us accountable for what we do not know is true. He only holds us accountable for what we know is true. God said of Eli, his priest, in 1 Samuel 3.13, last scripture, For I have told him, Eli the priest, that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity or the sin which he, what's the next word? Knoweth. God only holds us accountable for what we know is true. You say, oh, ignorance is bliss then. In a way, it is. 
except when God gives you light and you ignore it, <laughs> then ignorance is not bliss. Because his sons made themselves vile and he restrained them not. God only judges people based on the sin they know. Thus the gospel will never judge, number one, those who have never heard of Christ. Two, those who are mentally insufficient. Or three, those who die before the age of conscious understanding. It's not in God's DNA. So if you understand the character of God, you can ask the question, well, if, if a baby dies and he doesn't get saved, does God send that baby to hell? No, that's not in God's character. It's not, it's not in his DNA. It's not his person. It's not who he is. God's very nature prevents him from being hateful and unjust. Does he not desire that all men be saved? You see, everything in Scripture points to the character of God, his person, who he is. This is why the Psalms are so important. This is why what Mark does when he, he puts those verses up there that we sing and he puts those words in yellow, every one of those words deal with an attribute of God so that when you're singing these songs, you may not know this, but if you watch Brother Todd, when you get to, yeah, <laughs> when you get to these attributes, they're in yellow, you'll see Brother Todd raise his hand. He may not raise his hand for any of the other stuff, even though everybody else will be raising their hands. He raises his hand concerning the attributes of God. Everything in Scripture points to the character of God, His attributes, who He is. He's not only sovereign in that He ultimately controls all things, He's not only omniscient in that he knows all things, he's also eternally good no matter what happens in our lives. Everyone here who names the name of Christ needs to do a Job and kneel to the sovereignty of God before their flesh kicks in and they do and say things about God they'll only regret down the road. How many here have ever complained against God and had to apologize? Is there anybody that never done that I'd like to meet that Christian <laughs> okay so that means everybody here has done some complaining unjust complaining and then had to go to God and say I, I shouldn't be that way everybody here has that I know of okay God says he, he, he understands that he dealt with Job he deals with everybody throughout the Bible he deals with us what he's looking for is that knee is that knee, that knee inside your heart that says, no matter what's going on in life, and it's rough, it's bad, I kneel to your sovereignty, and then I'm going to give you an earful. Because we're human enough to do that. But do you give him a knee first? This is what we need to be doing when it comes to understanding the character of God. Everybody catch that? Everybody grab a hold of that? Learn to kneel. E even if you don't kneel physically, kneel in your heart and say, God, I don't like what's going on, but I know you're in total control. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to do a Job. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Hebrew word means to kneel. I kneel before your sovereignty. 
Now, when I get to chapter 2, I'm going to be complaining. But for right now, I'm kneeling. That's where we all need to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time here tonight. Lord, uh, just another simple lesson on the character of God, who he is. And who he is, is good. He's always good. Not sometimes good. Always. And we need to recognize that or learn to recognize that. And we certainly need to kneel to that sovereignty every time things go wrong in our life. Before we complain. Bless these good folks. Help us to be in the habit of kneeling. In Jesus' name. Amen.